which is it's really just about the startup stuff that we would have loved to have heard when we were starting up. Um, I think so much of business talk ends up being this kind of, it's all about your attitude and it's really big and and American <laughs> and money. And though that stuff is great, you know, it's not really what you want when you're just doing a small kind of, I just want to learn how to get into business. So we made something that was a lot more local, at least to us in Scotland. And that that kind of places people at the center of business and that it's about connection. Um. And and yeah, we you know we've managed to find a huge variety of people to talk to who either have started business themselves because they love it, or um, who got into business because they felt they had to, or or they were really interested. And yeah, at the end of the day, it's about connecting with people. Most definitely. So it sounds like you're getting a diverse group of people. And uh, so, how far into the podcast are you so far? Um, so far we're actually super ahead on recording. We're like two months ahead in terms mm-hmm. of recording. Yeah. Um, so we don't have to record it as often, if that makes sense. We got that leap ahead. Yeah, um, but we're maybe, I think we've recorded 26 episodes and, and 17 just went out, I think, or maybe 18 is going out this week. So it's really exciting. Um, uh, Anton, who I do the show with, has been doing podcasting for five, six years, something like that. Wow. Really, really proficient, knows his stuff. Um, and yeah, it's just a, it's a marvel to record with him. That's great. So what's that like with, you know, working with another person and recording? I always do, I do all the stuff on my own and then I have guests on. How mm. is that with someone else? Well, I think a lot of what we do as a company is is also the two of us. Um, and then whenever I have done podcasting before, I've always um, had other hosts or or bring people on. Um, I think there are some brilliant talk shows out there where it's people talking and it's much more in-depth. But for me, again, it's about human connection. And and so, yeah, we we able to set it up together. I do a bit more of the guest finding um, and then he's a bit better at the interviews themselves, though it's it's a bit more of a casual conversation. I think at the end of the day, even just something like this, you know, especially with the year we've all just had, I think just talking to people um, is really important. Totally agree. I mean, it's especially for this past year, things important. It's always been part of my mantra is to uh, build lasting connection with people mm. and so networking i have a very different concept of networking i always look at it as more of like uh i'm i would say i'm into commitment i like commitment um mm. i'm not a person who likes to shy away from it so like i'm seeking to have commitment with other people and develop and nurture relationships i and i think in business it's no different um a good business i think seeks that and nurtures those relationships yeah, well, especially if um, you've worked with someone, you've really got to prove not only if, if say, you're the client, you know, you've got to deliver, you've got to, you know, this is what we want, and then you pay at the end, or, you know, yes, we'd hire you again, or if you're the one who's doing the product, then it's the other way around of, okay, well, we've got to make sure, we've got to make sure that we followed the brief, um, we've got to make sure that you're happy, because most often you're working with people who you've already worked with before. I think the main thing that we're learning is people will want to pay you if they like you, you know, and you've done a great job. Um, and if you've been difficult and awkward or they're difficult and awkward, you know, you don't want to work with them again. So I think it's not only trying to find people that you enjoy being with and working with, but it's also about being the best person that you can in a in a healthy way um, so that, you know, any project that you're doing, any work that you're doing is is smooth and, yeah, committed. You've got to commit to the work. You've got to commit to people to forming a lasting relationship. Now, you mentioned about, you know, people paying you and they need to they should like you as well as they want to. Do you think that's changed over the course of your lifetime? I know that has in mind where uh, I'm 42, so I grew up in a time where I think mm. it was much more of a the boss is the boss or, you know, people basically being kind and stuff wasn't really a thing back then. Right. But now it feels like oh, it's a big thing. That. Yeah, uh, it's. I think it's more progressive. I feel like mm-hmm. now. What are you, what is your point of view on that? 
Yeah, I I really believe, especially within a workplace, that you've really got to sort of love and nurture. So whether that's like, you know, you've got a new intern, um, love and nurture them because they can grow and they can do more. Um, I've done some really great internships where I have been supported and I have been able to do more than I ever sort of thought I could when signing up. Um, I think also learning from really good leaders, you know, you sort of learn, you observe, um, you, you are supported and then you can do more. And so I think the way, you know, the way that the internet works is, is how we're able to have this conversation is, is you can connect with anyone anywhere. And so if you've managed to find a market that say, you know, is all in Australia and you work from France, um, people are going to be invested and people are going to come and find you if, you know, if you're positive and you're interesting and the work you do is really good. I think the day of, you know, the snobby expert uh, who knows everything but is a nightmare to work with, I think those days are are leaving us because sort of anyone can do anything from anywhere in the world. And, and especially now that we're all working it from home, um, Yes, there are some things which, you know, just cannot be transferred across continents or over the internet, but so much actually can. Do you think that in saying that also that the worker workers maybe have more leverage or more power than they used to because of the internet and they're not beholden to the same environment all the time? Mm. Well, it's I think especially over the course of the year, we have seen, uh, and, and sort of I say the year, either we're at the start, with, with 2020, yeah. it sort of increased that polarization um, to a point where so many people were like, I have had enough. I mean, we have seen worldwide protests for a bunch of different reasons as well. There's not sort of something unanimous there, but I think the the general feeling is, is we've had enough. Um, and you know, I think it was even the other day I was reading in, in the news that Google's uh, workers are unionizing because, again, they've had enough. They want to be properly supported. And it it sort of points towards that, um, you know, what people realizing and sort of trying to take back control of why, why are we doing this? You know, if it makes us unhappy, why are we putting up with this when there is only more hurt or pain? Um, and I think power to the people who are fighting to get what they want. Yeah, I I can see that because I think of my parents, they grew up in a time where a lot of people worked a job, you know, maybe the same job most of their life, and they stayed mm -hmm. in it, even if they hated it because they were getting a pension at the end of the road, or, you know, you just stayed into something. And there's something to Again, I'm in a commitment, but there's also an understanding of you can only commit so far to something if it's damaging you and keeping you in a, a bad space on a regular basis. So I don't think people are like just taking it on the chin anymore with their job. Just like, oh, you want to treat me poorly? I'll move on to something else. That's okay. You know? Yeah, I think that rise of capitalism has definitely heightened some of the situations where a lot of the nine to five jobs are no longer just nine to five. I mean, just hearing about yeah. what teachers have to go through and giving up their holidays, you know, people who we trust to teach the next generation are having to give up infinitely so much all the time. You know, they have to pay for their own supplies. Um, they work all these horrible right. hours, have to do all this extra marking understaffed. And and at least in the UK or where, where I am from, um, that is felt in almost every department, every um, every sort of workspace is understaffed and underpaid. Um, I'm sort of in with the more recent graduate group. So a lot of people have been trying to find their first jobs and just finding the workplace that there either are no jobs, but also everywhere's understaffed and everyone's underpaid. And so that was partly why me and Anton set up our own company was we were like, right, if we're going to start this and if we're going to do this, um, we have to respect the work that we do and we have to, you know, we're going to pay ourselves and we're going to make it ourselves because the alternative seems sort of so unforgiving. Yeah, I see a lot more people um, starting their own business, uh, becoming entrepreneurs and um Myself, I became an entrepreneur at like 40. 
I had always worked for someone else for a very long time. And I actually enjoyed it. It was something I really liked, but I felt a natural shift to do something else. And so what has been, what has that journey been like for you at your age starting a business? Yeah. Well, I think there definitely is a safety and security for working with someone else. Um, and, you know, when we've done internships, we've been able to, you know, or at least I personally have been able to make mistakes and learn and grow because that's the idea of an internship, right? But I think there comes a point where when you decide to start a business in 2020, you've really got to know what you're doing. Um, and of course, the whole thing is a learning process. So, I don't know if I could totally recommend just jump into it, just do it. You know, we had to make sure that we had fallbacks. We had to make sure that we had to support, um, you know, find the investor first and then looked into what we could do. Um, because I think the security um, that came with a boss and a, and a job in a company, if say you were just joining in, has also kind of gone. There is sort of those safety nets are no longer there. Um you know, we were aware that if we go into this and the company fails, it's going to take forever for us to get new jobs, not just because we did a failing company, but because the economy is sort of tanked in a really bizarre way, um, you know, where it's understaffed and there's not enough jobs. And so, you know, it was really daunting and I don't think I could have done it without having him there, if that makes sense. Just, I think another person going through it has sort of kept me sane the whole of this. It's been 10 months now that we've been sort of full-time working, but two years that we've been together uh, doing this work. And it's sort of nuts. It's great, but it's nuts. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I feel like I hear the same thing from all my fellow, you know, startup business mm -hmm. uh, entrepreneurs. Tell me a little bit about the environment that you're in and the UK. Are you still in Scotland right now? Or? Yeah. So that was something that we had agreed was um, not that we're both particularly patriotic, but I think there was an understanding in the importance. Don't worry, I won't start quoting Braveheart. Um, That's okay. There was an understanding in the importance of local and you know, I think at least for the next few years, we wanted to be near our parents. You know, we wanted to have a familiarity, at least in the environment that we were in, whilst we were going to be doing something tricky like setting up a business. You know, because, well, at least when we could, it was nice to go around to mom and dad's for, you know, drinks after work. Um mm -hmm. And so I think, yeah, especially if we were, you know, if we were down in London or if we had even moved over to America... I, I think I think it would have been too much. Um, I'm not saying that it's impossible or that, you know, people can't do it, but I think, you know, we are two very determined individuals. Um and and, you know, it's already sort of at the max of what you can kind of deal with as a person. Yeah. What's the vibe like in Scotland right now? I mean, I've had people from all over the world on this, and you are the first Scottish person I've talked oh. to. Well, and, well, that's uh, wonderful. I'm glad you can have more of us. Yeah, I it, it's I think it's awesome. And I was like, my wife's ancestry is in Scotland, and uh, she doesn't really know much about it, and I don't really either. So I was just I was just curious, like, what is life like there in the current state of things? Yeah, I'll try and not get too political because I I don't want to be unfair, but I am I am a little bit of a yeah. political person, so I'll sort of be reining myself okay. back. Um, but yeah, whatever. We, you know. <laughs> as you know, the, the UK is now no longer in Europe. The, right. the sort of final agreements have been made, which yeah. um, was very polarizing, as in that big vote, Scotland unanimously voted to stay in the EU. Um, a few years before, we also had a big referendum, which was like, should Scotland leave the UK? And I mean, the numbers were so close, but the final decision was... Um, uh, no, it shouldn't leave. So yes, it should stay in the UK. Um, and sort of one of those big agreements was like, oh, well, we'll stay in the UK if we stay in Europe. So <laughs> everyone's a bit grumpy at the moment. Um, we have mm. also had multiple lockdowns and we've now got this new strain of the coronavirus, which is, um, you know, we're, we're already in unprecedented territories and we're kind of now again in things aren't working, we don't know what to do, nobody's going outside, you know, nobody can see each other. Um, because we're such a small country, you know, and 
I mean, it's not a small country, but a lot of the people live in the same areas. Um, you kind of know everyone that's nearby. Um, I mean, not everyone, but you know, I think there is a general yeah. sense that you can you can sort of see people through the windows suffering. Um, and it's it's a I think a very scary turning point for this country. I think a lot of my friends and and young people are also getting into politics again. There's an understanding that we sort of want control of our own country and to make our own decisions. Um, but there's also a lot of historic institutions that um, are trying to guide the future of of you know of what the new UK will be, of what a new Brexit will be. Um, our first minister, who's kind of like prime minister or president, um, mm-hmm. has has done an incredible, uh, I would say, has had an incredible response to the virus itself. And and I really think that her as an individual, she's an incredible leader. Um, but also her party can be a little bit difficult sometimes. And, mm-hmm. you know, I don't think we're really set on what kind of politics we want for the future. Like as a country, I don't think we're really set on even what we want as a future of the country in general. Yeah. Um, and I think there would have been a lot of political turmoil anyway, if it wasn't for the fact that now everyone has been stuck inside for over half a year. Um, but there's hope. I think there really is still hope with within the Scottish people, because there always is. Interesting. I mean... I love hearing about how everyone is, the different perspectives around the mm. world about how all this is affecting everyone, you know, and, and what I hear from you is it feels very similar to how mm. a lot of people I think feel in the United States, who are feeling in Australia, who are feeling and just different places all over the world, this kind of collective, collective difficulty that's happening. And then throwing on that Brexit, you're talking about and the history of Scotland, and um, it's interesting that younger people are getting more into politics. That you were saying about that—that that, yeah. is that a larger thing that you're seeing there? I guess I would definitely say maybe just because my friends are quite polarized themselves, but mm-hmm. I think there really is a move to. It's kind of a now or never vibe. Mm. Um, I think people are sort of feeling, gosh, you know, we've got to do this now. Otherwise, we don't have another chance. Or I've got to make my voice heard now. Otherwise, we don't have another chance. I know um, Edinburgh, at least, which is our capital, has been quite good. That's that's where I currently am. Has mm-hmm. been quite good for being involved as much as it can in the protesting that's been happening all around the world sort of showing its support as a mm-hmm. city, as a country, um, but also still trying to do it on a local level. So I think especially with the um, the support protests that have been going on with Poland, um, that has been about supporting local Polish people because they're sort of not, you know, there is only so much one country can kind of do to be like, yay, to another country. Um, but there are still those people that are here or the um, Black Lives Matter protests that has also been about helping the uh, people of colour who are within Edinburgh themselves. Um, though it's quite a small amount that people still deserves respect and love and care and life. Um, Most definitely. Wow, that's pretty amazing. So, like the Poland thing, I I don't even I have no clue what that is. Like, because America, we're like consumed with everything that's crazy here constantly. Um, that's very fair. Well, I mean, I mean, yeah, such a such a huge country as well. To try and put uh, America, this is the thing I've always struggled with. To try to put America as one entity sort of seems nuts because it is so many people, so different cultures. Oh my gosh. I have said this so much to so many people. I'm like, and I've traveled all across the United States. You know, I grew up in a military family, lived in every part of the United States. And they're ba- it's basically like different countries, literally like different countries and different cultures. And it's very difficult to get things done here because it's just too polarizing. There's so many, you know, diversity is very good. I'm very into it. But there comes a point where it's like you're too big. If a place is too big, it's so hard to ha- have a consensus on things. Yeah. And yeah. then the political machine is such here that it's just so polarized and so 
so many people are disenfranchised. So like, and you were talking about Poland, I'm like, oh, what's happening there? I have no clue, you know? Oh, um, to summarize, I think a very complicated rise in um, traditionalism and Christian values. They basically made the most popular I don't want to say popular, but the the most the biggest percentage of why women have abortions, they have banned that, essentially making it so that women can't have abortions in almost all circumstances. Oh, um, wow. Which is, you know, it's women's bodies, it's women's rights. I'm not entirely sure. And to be honest, I'm so sad. I've fallen behind with the the actual current affairs of what's going on, but it's to do with different members of parliament and and different situation in which their governing is set up um, so that this sort of, uh, I mean, I feel that the rights of women are being absolutely taken away from them. Um, and it's, it's sort of incredibly scary to see a country that has such disrespect for its people, but that also... I mean, can sort of do what it wants, where a group a group of elitists can sort of make the laws and do what they want. Um, but then, you know, you could look anywhere in any country and say that that is true, that there is a group of elitists on top who are, who are making all these decisions. Um, I have always sort of felt for, especially you Americans with your two-party system, because I think that because it is two, you kind of have the binary opposite effects of having to kind of crash heads together mm-hmm. rather than it maybe being a bit more nuanced. I don't know how you feel about that. Uh, I really don't like it. I, mm. I think what happens, you know, again, anybody can only say based off of their personal experience and their travels and, you know, different things like that and talking to people. My personal kind of sphere in this whole thing is um, that a lot of people here grow up with an affiliation. So their family creates that affiliation for them, whether they're Republican or Democrat. And then other options are pretty much looked down on by most people. Mm-hmm. So what happens is, is that you have this cultural dynamic where you are basically shuttled, you know, shuttled into one party or the other as you grow up. And then what mm. has happened, I believe, I feel has happened is that it creates this us against you mentality. And there's not a lot of thought for like, well, what if somebody has ideas from both sides or they're maybe more politically independent? Like I consider myself very politically independent. I am not a Democrat or a Republican in terms that I, you know, I can see a positive in, in both things in certain areas. But we're at a mm. point now where it's like, even if like somebody said something that's completely ridiculous on one side, like people are sacrificing their value as humans to defend that side, like they're on a team or something. Um, yeah, well, you know I guess what it I mean? sort of like, comes into weird. that sports mentality, doesn't it? Of yeah. two people against each other fighting for, I guess it ends up being fighting each other rather than fighting for yeah. a country or fighting for a government. Yeah. And so we can't have conversations a lot of times with people because if somebody is extremely conservative or extremely liberal, Mm -hmm. those two people don't like each other because even if they may be really nice people, but if they say, well, I don't like all this spending or I don't like all this, they just don't want to talk to each other. Like, well, that person's crazy. They, they're too far left or they're too far right. And so extremism has become very popular in America. These extreme lefts and extreme rights have provided a lot of the airtime recently. And yeah. so, you know, this, this centrist mentality is really not given a lot of airtime, you know, which I think is a more moderate mindset is more of like saying like, hey, moderation is good. Let's see the good in both sides of things or different points of view. And we're, we're very much lacking. In that. Mm, and, and I think as well, that's just media in general has sort of embraced yeah. sensationalization and those ideas that, you know, it's not just about what, what is a good story that sells, but it's about shocking and clickbait and, yeah. you know, how much can we draw the audience in, maybe not necessarily with false information, but just the wackiest thing out there. Wacky um, stuff, man. 
in the UK, we've got an institution called the BBC, which is the British Broadcasting something um, company, Mm -hmm. I guess. I'm not sure. And for, you know, historically, they have said that we are very centrist and that we will cover both parties equally and that, um, you know, we will stay out of political, I don't know, opinions. Um, but a lot more recently, they really have been leaning more towards one side and they have been showing only certain ideas and working towards certain nationalistic values. And, you know, it's in their right as a company to do that, but that then goes against what they were sort of made for, which was this idea of, you know, centrist unity or or maybe not unity, but to sort of flatten out those extreme edges um, you know, and show facts and stay very honest. And I think it is, it just sort of shows a bit more about the time that we live in, that even something which is so, you know, historic as the BBC is having to also still do all this maddening sort yeah. of jumping through ropes to stay interesting and to stay relevant, but also to then appeal to certain viewers. Yeah, I, I think that's that seems like it's a global aspect of things uh, forward and I just it's maddening because there's for me I was just talking to one of my clients today about this and she was talking to me she was a psychologist and Mm. just about how like when I grew up you know you you didn't say things that were flat out lies like you just didn't do that because you were like well I want to have integrity about the things that I say you know and you know, if I don't tell things that are uh, correct or if I, you know, if I'm just purposely saying weird stuff, like, then I'm considered like a fringe lunatic type of person, you know, type of, I don't want that reputation. And in today's climate, it's almost like there's a reward for being weird like that. And to, to lying has become like a weapon, is a weapon. And it doesn't matter if lying, if, if telling the truth doesn't matter to a lot of people. It's just about mm. using the the lie is a weapon to get people to connect to you or whether it's good or bad it's about drawing attention and yeah that bothers me tremendously they use that term they use that term post-truth world for media um and Mm. and i would like to hope that we are you know that we are not post-truth that there are still truths that come through but every day we see false information or just misleading information consciously sort of perpetualized around in certain spheres and and yeah i mean as as we've seen with i think the the biggest some of the biggest politicians at the current moment that they can just say stuff and as long as they've grasped an idea they have sort of grasped an audience that it doesn't matter if whether what they say is truthful or not but it's whether they have grasped the idea that somebody wants that kind of make x great again i hear everywhere and for everything and it's well you know what are you harking back to is that itself problematic or you know why are we not great now question mark i think i think it's um i think it's awful because politicians are the one who should be you know organized and who should be wanting to help or, or have the people's interests at the sort of forefront of their mind. And, uh, you know, it oh, it makes me so mad um, without, without <laughs> saying anything too political. Um, yeah. It really bothers me. Well, I think underlying this whole thing, regardless of politics, is that, um, you know, we place certain people on pedestals in life. And mm. ultimately, we place a lot of people on tv or in the spotlight as all-knowing and they have all this power and stuff but i urge people to say i mean i really want you to look at yourself and look at this other person just because they're on tv or they're doing this doesn't mean that they're smarter than you it doesn't mean that they are more capable than you in doing many things in your life and often it's just a mirage one thing i've learned in my life in meeting a lot of successful people. There are a lot of people who are quote unquote successful whose lives are a mess. They're just a complete mess. And you have to be able to separate the the picture, the person that's out front from the person that is behind that. And if those two people aren't the same people, which they're often not, you're just getting the best representation that they're able to put on mm-hmm. in sound bites and stuff. You don't really know 
if that person is a complete train wreck behind that. You know, so I'm very wary of like leery of looking up to people and those type of platforms and stuff. Because I'm like, what? They're they're not who you think they are, generally speaking. You know. Yeah, and I think especially with that increase of um, social media in our lives. So yes. not only do I work in like social media advertising, but also I think with the year 2020 um, and as we're going into 2021, I have been uh, incredibly, I think, dependent in some ways on social media and I guess, you know, being able to connect with my friends and and the outside world. But I think everyone having a device in their pocket and in their home with them it it doesn't, you know, these devices and, and these social medias, they do not capture us. They capture an idea of us from the data they've collected. You know, they are the pictures that you choose to put up, the hashtags you choose to use, um, you know, the photoshops and angles you choose to use, the lighting. Um, and I think especially with people who, you know, I have had, I've seen a lot of my friends have removed themselves specifically from Instagram because of how, mm-hmm. I don't want to use the word triggering, but because of how, um, unrealistic and and twisted some of the ideas can be on there. You know, how malicious that the adverts are, you know, all targeting your weight. You know, if you've been following somebody who maybe uses a hashtag about health or something like that, um, a lot of very, you know, you maybe follow for some interesting recipes and then suddenly it's all about, oh my gosh, you've got to eat this and you're so fat and all these ideas or or just unrealistic standards um, I think particularly for women, but I don't want to exclude men from that either, because I yeah. think, um, or and, and non-binary people, I think the idea that you know our human bodies should look a specific way, um, you know, is is slightly maddening, um, and and there's a real difficulty in there because you know nobody can go outside really, and nobody is able to interact, and you know you're not able to talk to your friend about it later and be like, hi, did you see this? Wasn't that a bit weird? Yeah, I know. We're sort of left with our thoughts, mm. um, and we end up, I think, taking in all these slightly weird, you know, sort of um, funhouse mirror versions of the world, and I really think that's unhealthy. Um, I think there are healthy ways of dealing with social media, and it depends on who you're following and and how aware you mm. are. But I think when you're constantly stuck with it, you know, with the strange Facebook messages that, you know, a relative keeps sharing that, you know, it's oddly political and it keeps coming mm. back and it sort of wears you down. I think no amount of training or understanding of social media um, can get you to the point where you impervious to either adverts or just targeted malicious content. Yeah, I mean, I feel like I had this conversation the other day by the fire with my wife. Because, you know, mm-hmm. we, we talk about this stuff all the time, and both of us really not on social media. I just have LinkedIn. That's it. And mm-hmm. uh, I used to have all the other stuff, but I got rid of it because I was just like, this is like too much work to deal with all this. And it just seems very negative, appealing to a very cynical nature of people. But I wonder, you said you're basic, I mean, you're, I would imagine you're in your 20s, I'm guessing, or so. Yeah. yeah. And so you, you grew up with this stuff, I would imagine then. Like... Yeah, I well, didn't. it is interesting. I, I can remember a time where I didn't have this, any of this stuff, you know? Mm-hmm. A lot of the people that we work with just don't really know, you know, either what the social medias are or how best to use them. Um, a big thing that us at our company, and I think me as an individual, I stand for it, is it's not just good adverts, um, but it's about creating something real that is genuinely engaging um, and that is nice, you know. And so I think people will come often come to us and we say, well, we can make you this this advert or we can do this. Um, and they don't understand why people are on these social medias or they don't understand why it is important for to be advertising on there, or they don't they only see the negative sides of it. Um and, and that's incredibly disheartening to me because I think there are some really good elements to social media. But I think the way it's regulated and the way it's been pushed and and with a lot of the recent changes um, of sort of copycat features and moving features intentionally to try and capitalize on your muscle memory, stuff like that, yeah. I think is incredibly malicious. I know with my parents, there was always a strong um, emphasis originally when we were first getting Facebook and stuff was never having our real names. You know, never put your personal information out there because you don't know who's out there collecting 
Um, and it was, you know, dad was always like, be very hesitant about what you sign up for. You know, what you put on the internet will be there forever. I think he was really ahead of his time in understanding what the internet would at least become for now or become for a time. I think it does really change fast. So I was always sort of cautious. Like I think even when I first got Facebook, when I was quite young, um, it was already a bit later than my friends had it, you know, and I was already aware um, of, you know, people can Google my name and find a picture of me, which as I've gotten older and I've done stuff for students unions, you know, and I'm now doing a company, I can be comfortable with that. But I think especially as a young woman on the internet, that's not something you necessarily want. Um, and I think especially for me as a young girl, I hated those ideas. And I think there's a lot of people out there who can feel that with me. Um, though already in the last five years, I think a lot of those ideas have changed and shifted. You know, Twitch will often have, everyone's got webcams and everyone's put their face out there and everyone's talking to each other. Um, and and I think especially if you're young and that's what you're taking in rather than those cautionary tales. Um I don't want to sound too much like a boomer, but that does concern me a bit. Yeah. I mean, I, I mean, I think it should concern most people. And I think, but I think it's also Louisa. It's like anything. I don't, I don't want to take it to just the internet. I think anything that you start to use and you don't know the driver's manual for, mm. you're going to make a lot of mistakes. Anything you try without understanding, you're just kind of shooting in the wind, you know? And you're like, well, I'll try this, I'll try that. And that's where a lot of mistakes happen. And, yeah. and the, the internet in itself, and coming back to that, is something that humans use without any real knowledge of what the, yeah. what the consequences are, where things are going to end up. It's the wild, wild west, essentially. And so the lack of regulation on the algorithms and stuff, it's, it's just a difficult, it's a minefield for a lot of people. Yeah. And for some the, people, the, the only way to deal with it yeah, no, some way the only people who can get through it is just through abstinence of it, you know? Yeah, well, I, I think the law in many cases is really lagging behind. And of course, yes. you know, you can say the law and it's different in every country and it's set up different. But I know particularly with Scots law, which is what I'm most familiar with, um, even though the law can evolve quite quickly, you know, which is in design of sort of how Scots law work, it is still dramatically behind for a lot of the sort of social media usage. And, um, or at least I feel personally that there's elements which are sort of falling behind um, with understanding our data and things like right to repair and privacy and um, what we're allowed to own. Do we own our own data about ourselves? You know, and right. I think Europe passed some interesting stuff a few years ago, which meant that whenever you go to a website, you have to accept the cookies so that it can take your data. You have to actually actively click and accept. Right. But slowly over the years, website has made it harder and harder to understand firstly what your cookies are and what your data is. Um, but also make it harder to say no and to reject those. Um, and unless that's something that you actively look out and search and do or retrospectively do, um, places are still vastly harvesting our data. Um, and that, again, I don't think we're quite at a point because companies don't necessarily know exactly what to do, especially with voice data yet. Mm. You know, we're all using fingerprint scanners, face scanners, voice activated devices. You know, this is a whole new set of like biological driven data, which companies don't even know how to sell it yet <laughs> you know yeah. it's it's sort of so hot off the press um that that they don't even know what they're doing and we don't even know how much we've sort of given up you know the fingerprint has sort of so historically been used to capture criminals you know what if your fingerprint scanner could deny you access to your phone call the police if you're a wanted criminal you know i think these mm. ideas are horribly terrible um, and are sort of sci-fi. They sound like Black yeah, Mirror. But, it does. Uh, I should get writing. No. Um, but <laughs> they, they, I think sort of, and, and a kind of what the rise of Black Mirror was, was about we are not that far away from these horrible technology ideas. Um, and I think, yeah, yeah it, we ought to be careful of that while still engaging in a productive way. Yeah. It's interesting you brought that up. 
because I often feel like a lot of like sci-fi or movies is becoming, it's not far-fetched. Like when I was growing up, a lot of the sci-fi, you're like, no, that's crazy. That's like a hundred years from now. That's like a crazy future, you know? Mm. And the more stuff that comes on now, you're like, isn't that around now? Or like, maybe that's like very soon type of stuff, you know? I think what's interesting is is Britain has always had, or at least since the 60s, we've had Doctor Who, right? Which is about a relatively normal looking dude and usually a human companion and they go off and it's very campy. You know, America had Star Trek, right? Which was flashing lights and I mean, still very campy, but we had cardboard cutout aliens and (laughs) one set um, that sometimes changed color and, you know, it increased in budget over the years. But I think what has been most interesting about it is how realistic inverted commas it has always been, you know, the aliens are always people and their wars mm-hmm. are always grey, you know, and killing is never justified. And I think as time and technology has progressed, it is quite funny that I've recently been watching some old episodes and it's like, ooh, crazy technology and it's stuff we have. Yeah, you have. <laughs> um, <laughs> and it's that it's that blurring those lines because it has always been very grounded as a TV show that I think when you do come to something like Black Mirror, which is again sort of BBC British yeah. made, there's sort of not that far a jump. You just need an eccentric main character called the Doctor, and then they're kind of the same show. Um, because you know people remember notoriously about being terrified by Doctor Who, I think, because the monsters were creepy and they were sort of mm-hmm. filmed in a spooky way. But how is that different to Black Mirror? You know, because that is sort of existential horror and dread yes. in a way. Um, I think it's kind of wonderfully, you know, it's like poetry. It, it rhymes, um, does those two shows, because it's both about scary sci-fi future um, that I think in both cases are kind of possible. Yes. And I think on Black Mirror, a lot of people identify with the episode where uh, there's like that rating system and you're getting yeah. rated all the time and you use that for everything you do in your life. And I think the association is that people could see that happening currently. They're like, oh, that's not mm. far off. We're kind of doing that as it is. And the reality is I mean, what I makes think- it scary, you know? China's already doing social That's social true. credit as a system. Um, and I, I'm really not clued up on the details. I'm no expert. But my understanding is that your social credit can deny you loans or get you access to different jobs. Um, and, you know, I'm sure that these ideas can be justified, um, you know, and that there is a solution and there is a future and this is technology and we should embrace it. But it also that feels incredibly problematic to me from a standpoint that, you know, what if you are, you know, I, I mean, a lot of people that end up being homeless, you know, they didn't plan to be homeless. It does. It happens. Homelessness is something that can happen, especially when you don't have all the safety nets that others do. Um, and something like that can take down your social credit. You know, I think the the world can be so harsh the minute you slip up anywhere, whether that is becoming homeless or whether that is getting uh, a long-term illness or discovering that you're disabled or becoming disabled. Um, all of these factors um, and the way that society works ends up sort of dragging you down to be less advantaged, even though you are already disadvantaged to get into that position, if that makes sense. Um, I realize I haven't, yeah. I haven't phrased that so well, but there, <laughs> no, there is no, there is no comfort and support for those who are already hurting, um, or the, the, what help and support there is is so far and few between, um, that it can be extremely difficult, and uh, I really feel, I really feel for the people who are trying their best, um, and who are just pushing through and surviving in countries that are designed to break you. Hmm. Yeah. I mean, that's powerful. Well, I would love to hear about what is kind of the social aspect of Scotland? Like what are, what are kind of rights people have as Scottish citizens? And, you know, what do you get? Like, I have, I have no clue. I, I do this because I want to learn too, you know? Mm. Well, so you've been able to get gay married since 2014. I've been, okay. I'm very proud about that fact. Um, I think the courts have recently overturned. 
though I'm not entirely sure because I think it was maybe UK wide and sometimes things slightly vary. But I think in the UK, um, you're no longer allowed to get certain treatments for um, transitioning when you're 16 or younger, which is quite a controversial one. Um, And, you know, inherently feels a little bit off to me as that's something that we have sort of progressed on, I felt. Um, But there is support um, if you are trans and you're a little bit older. Um, We have the NHS, gosh, I hope she survives, um, which is free healthcare for all in Scotland, mm-hmm. along with the UK and Northern Ireland. Um, we love, I love you, Northern Ireland. You are part of the UK and you are valid. <laughs> is that pretty popular, um, free healthcare people, for all there? Yeah, free healthcare for all. Oh, well, it's times like I was doing a theatre show and somebody stamped on my hand to the point where I couldn't feel my hand. And um, I was staying in these halls and I didn't really know anyone. And so one of the teachers came with me. I was able to go to the hospital. I was able to get a free x-ray. My hand wasn't broken. I just had to, I just had to wait it out. Um, you know, put some ice on it, ice on it to wait it out. Um, or there's been times where I've gotten really ill in the night and I've been able to call NHS 111, which is a free service that you can call any point 24 hours and be like this is a problem you maybe get sent to a couple different people on the phone but they will often identify the problem and either get you an emergency appointment or send you to a pharmacy that can get you the meds or tell you how to rest up Um, and having that quick reassurance knowing that whatever state I get into either the people around me can get me healthcare or that I myself can get myself quick and easy healthcare without having to think about bills um yeah. I think is an incredible feature of of Britain and Scotland um you know you see posts about people saying if I get hit or whatever you know don't call an ambulance call an Uber um and <laughs> yeah. that seems so otherworldly to me Maybe you can fill me in a little bit on that because I, I'm yeah. sort of hoping it is, you know, but I, I sort of feel that it maybe isn't in some ways. Well, see, growing up in America, I mean, this is all you know, that you you mm. grow up in this system where you don't have free health care. Everything costs something. So mm. I've definitely had friends who have been terrified of calling the ambulance because they know they're going to get like a $10,000 bill or, you know, like they're like terrified because not everybody has health insurance. And I think we try to say this thing like healthcare for all and all these things, but there's just, the problem is, is the money. Money is the problem is too many people are making too much money off of it. And so if we were, I think a lot of people would love to go to, uh, like universal healthcare, but then you have this other faction of people would say, well, I'm going to make less money now. I made a healthcare provider for that. Which I think is really interesting because it it makes the argument that money is more important than people's lives. Exactly. You know, that's that's nuts. (laughs) That's crazy. Or the other argument is, oh, well, these other countries have it, but then they have really high tax rates and stuff. And and this and that, because because I'm right next to Canada, and Canada mm. has universal health care. And I've not heard any Canadian tell me, and I've talked to a ton of them, that like they don't like it. They're all generally very into it. Uh, but the mm. Americans would say, oh, the taxes are so high and stuff. I, I don't think that any American really knows what they're talking about, because they've never had it. Yeah. They've never had yeah. universal health care. How would they well, know? I think what is interesting is that all of these countries, you know, the UK included, we still have a private healthcare system. So it's not like if there was a really determined individual who really wanted to make that money, you know, that they couldn't. Um, I think dentistry and teeth stuff is more universally privatized a little bit more. You know, they'll do you your braces a bit more and other stuff. Though there is a range of stuff provided by the NHS. Um, but, you know, I think our dentist industry is a little bit more Americanized in that regard right, because, you know, right. everyone wants a polished, shiny smile rather than sure. just existing healthy. Um, and and I think that's maybe, you know, interesting how it's when it comes to a factor of more appearance that people are willing to pay. Um, but yeah. the fact that, yeah, if, say, you have teeth that are growing the wrong way, um, you know, that are growing into your bone or whatever, because mm-hmm. um, sometimes can just be like nope i'm outie which is yeah. valid you know, sure teeth you do you 
Um, you know, there is a system which, you know, if you're a struggling mother and you've got three boys, you know, and one of them gets a football to the face and he loses like three of his teeth, you know, there is a system that can either not put the teeth back in, but, you know, there's a system that can support and make sure that his face isn't like totally wrecked for life. Um, and that seems like a human right to me. Um, the fact that anyone can get healthcare. And I know it's incredibly difficult when you've got people who are immigrants and setting that system up. And I've had, you know, friends who have come over and they've had problems with the NHS. Usually they just charge it back. Um, Mm. but it, you know, uh, I really, I really feel for people who, you know, struggle and their government, uh, which I feel, you know, strongly should be there to support and help the people, decides to slap them in the face instead. It's a mess. It's literally a mess in the United States with healthcare, and that's all sides agree on that pretty universally. It's a huge mess, and it's something that needs to be done because even if you buy, you know, like I have health insurance, and I have to pay a decent amount every month just to have it. Now, Mm. depending on the type of plan I get, you know, it costs different things. If you, like a lot of people who really can't afford health insurance and get it, they get this thing where it's basically a five, $10,000 deductible. So, you know, your insurance company won't pay until you hit that amount of money that you've personally paid for it. Oh, wow. And that's crazy. That's actually crazy. And so I actually pay a lot for my health insurance so that I have a very low deductible so that the insurance will actually kick in after very little money that I put in. But it's like, it's insane. Like you're paying a monthly fee for something that even when you use it, you still have to pay (laughs) for it. It's like Mm -hmm. an insane system that nobody can understand, yet we still have it. I feel you. And I, and I think, you know, you're, you are echoing what has been said for years that, you know, we got the welfare state here after a war when I think a lot of Mm -hmm. people were, and you could say this about illness, you know, in general, didn't plan to be ill or unwell. You know, a lot of soldiers came back and they were messed up because war is horrible. Um, And you can quote me on that one. Um, And, and so there was an understanding (laughs) of rights, you know, People who have either lost the main breadwinner or, you know, people who are so broken they can't work with their families or, you know, we actually want the child mortality rate to not be atrocious. You know, let's make it so that the country works to support the people. And and we're at a point where the NHS has been so underfunded for so many years, um, you know, and understaffed and nurses, all the tuition is getting cut and doctors, you know, it's becoming harder to become a doctor and a nurse. Um, though there are still amazing people that go out there and continue to learn and to, you know, put themselves on those front lines. Um, it, it sort of, it feels, you know, I feel like partly the, the politics is mirroring those American rhetorics. Um, but in the country that where we have the, you know, we have the welfare state and we have this universal healthcare, but it's not being nourished or supported as much as it should. And so now we're in the middle of a global pandemic and there's talks about, wow, we do not probably have enough ventilators, you know, for this amount of yeah. people. And so much of the idea of locking it down is so that we don't get to the point where our hospitals cannot, you know, manage the amount of people coming in. Um, but the are the capacities are so low because they haven't been cared for for years. Yeah. It's interesting. Like, see, in America that word welfare state has a bad connotation for a lot of people. Mm. And I don't see it that way. I mean, again, I'm very politically independent, but I also am, and I would say more liberal in the sense that I think everybody is born into a very different situation. You don't choose your situation. And there are certain people that are born in very wonderful situations and they have great families, great homes, great opportunities. And you have other people who are born into severe poverty. They didn't choose that. Yeah. And they, to me, there needs to be some level of um, really positive welfare for people to give them a shot in life. Because if you don't, that cycle just gets perpetuated. And I'm really tired of people saying, well, they should just get themselves together and work harder. Okay, you grow up in the hood, in the projects, yeah. and you don't know, you hear gunshots all the time. and you know, you, you're living in hell, right? Okay. Let's see you get out of that. 
Okay, it's so easy for people who have good good things growing up to say work harder. I'm just tired of that, and we just can't keep doing that to people. I, it always brings me back, and I know it's probably an archaic reference now, but it's when um, Marie Antoinette, you know, head of the uh, just before the French Revolution, right. you know, was told the people of France are starving. Um, you know, they haven't got any bread. And she was like, well, let them eat cake. Mm-hmm. With, I mean, who knows if she actually said that. But the idea was that she is so detached from understanding what her own people eat that she didn't realize that them not having bread meant they had no food rather than, oh, well, they can just eat something else, you know, <laughs> says Marion. Um, and and yeah. I think that that sort of extended metaphor uh, goes on to all who have grown up privileged and supported and wealthy. That if you haven't, I think if you're if you have grown up wealthy and you haven't actively tried to understand those who did not get the same upbringing as you, there is no way that you can access that because you are so gated and you are so locked off and inverted commas protected from whatever. Um, you know, I understand the privilege that I come from, that I actually had quite a good upbringing and I had parents who supported me, um, you know, and I had teachers who supported me and I had the chance to to grow and flourish. And, you know, I, I am uh, white and, and cisgendered. And so that gives me so many more privileges. Um, but I, I also, you know, hate the fact that because of this, there are others who don't get what I have gotten inherently. Um, you know, and I, and I wish to learn more and I wish to listen and I wish to help and yeah. support and, and, you know, work with the trans people and with the people of color and with those who just haven't got those opportunities, but who constantly haven't had those opportunities. And that put them at like such a disadvantage. Yeah. And I think we're just very ignorant to these things. You know, I just, I just don't like the whole work harder, you know, like pick yourself up. I'm like, Okay, well, you try living in poverty, you yeah. know, for a while and pick yourself living up. Paycheck, right? paycheck. You, know. you know, there is no saving up because that paycheck is it. You know, that paycheck is your rent, is your kids' food, is your food, is the car that you have to, to go to work. You know, there is no saving there. And it's not about, oh, cut down on your drinking or don't have as many Starbucks because usually those things aren't even in there anyway. Um it's it's about rent being so incredibly high, you know, and increasing in cost all the time. The price of a house, you know, the the deposit that you have to pay for houses is 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 astronomical compared to what it was twenty years ago. Mm. You know, who who can afford to live in their own house? You know, when you when you end up renting for life, and not that that's necessarily a bad thing, but I think it should be a choice. Um. You know, the price of food generally has also gone up. Money mm-hmm. inflation has gone up. I saw a brilliant graph which was about the average wage compared to inflation um, and the price of living. And basically, average wage has not gone up, yet cost of living, inflation has brought it up. Everything else has brought it up. Um, and so with that, people are getting paid less, you know, for doing the same amount of work for working just as hard as everyone has ever worked forever. You know, I really don't know lazy people. Um, I The people I know work hard for what they've got and what they've got is often so little. And no matter how much hard work you do, there are systemic problems which will keep people locked in a box and in a place and in a, in a p- yeah. part of life forever. Yeah, um, and, and that you know, is some wrong. people some people overcome it, but it's very few people. And that's what usually the people will say, well, look, this person made out of this horrible situation. I'm like, no, I get that. But that's not regular. Mm. That's not a common occurrence. If that was the case, then yes, the case for hard work getting out of your situation would be a great idea. But these are exceptions for that. I just think, you know, we gotta help humans to a certain point. Yeah, I think there should be some rights that people have to safety and shelter and things as just being human citizens. And then, fine, capitalism, get go beyond what, you know, try to work hard to create more for yourself. I'm kind of for a mixed system with all those types of things, you know. I'm mm. not for like, hey, let's just like give everybody everything. And, you know, I'm not into that, but I'm saying like, at least give people a shot out of the yeah. in the beginning of their life and what whatever they do after that 
then let it be based off of, you know, what, whatever they're doing, their drive, their work ethic. But if you, if you, if you take away safety, if you take away food, you take away shelter, then a person doesn't care about climate change. They don't care mm, about higher mm. order things to think about because they're just trying to survive every day. Yeah. If your life is about survival every day, you don't care about other things that may be important yeah. to people who have safety and comfort and love on a regular. You, you can afford to think about the larger picture of life when you have those things. But if you don't, you don't care about that. Mm. Yeah, I think I think there is. <laughs> Not, I think that there's some really interesting statements that people say about how they felt 2020 and a load of politicians were shocked because people were like, I don't want the world to go back to how it was. You know, I don't want that new normal to look like that old normal. And the people who are shocked clearly were the ones who were in those comfortable, privileged positions because everyone else was like, it was horrible. Um and and I think that is telling that again there is a movement of people or of of I feel people in general who have have been constantly disadvantaged, um and and who can't it's not you know now is the time but who can't deal with it anymore you know people are dying because either the healthcare is not good enough or where they live or the color of their skin or what they're doing, um and I don't understand how you know, firstly, how people can deny that fact, but also how people can sleep, you know, can sleep at night knowing that that is a system that they perpetuate. I don't understand that. Yeah, it's, you know, these are great discussions to have. I think people come from it in different points of view. I I would consider myself just someone who I like to help people. I want to help myself, but I think Mm. it's just so I've seen the cycle of poverty before and life. And it's just so difficult to get out of it for so many people. And it's not like you can look at somebody and go, well, they're not trying hard enough where they need to. It's just, it's not that simple. Life is not that simple. If it was, it would be like, boom, wave the magic wand. We're good. (laughs) You know, type of thing. So I think there's a lot of things we can learn from other countries, from other mindsets and take these good things and mm-hmm. try to create something. But as long as like here in America, our, our political polarization is so deeply nasty that it's just mm-hmm. very difficult to overcome those things. I'm hopeful that we can, but it's rough out there. <laughs> yeah. And I think the only thing that we can do in some situations is stay hopeful. Um, because, you know, it's hope that sparks that next generation. It's hope that makes people want to help, you know, it's hope that gets people involved, um, you know, and it's us talking about the fact that there is a chance and we can do it, you know, and it's my friends who have actively gotten involved in politics, who then get their other friends actively involved in politics, yeah. you know, who then bring other people along, um, that I think it it is, yes, so, so many problems that are so much more than one issue, one solution, Um but but I I believe you know maybe I'm just young, <laughs> um, mm-hmm. but but what else is there to being young apart from being hopeful, um, yeah. and wanting to change the world for the better? I remember I was talking with one of my lecturers after a particularly dark essay we had all written about modernism, and I was like, was it always like this, or is it just because we're like in uni and we're having to write about it? Mm-hmm. And he was like, you know what? I don't remember things being this bad. <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, and I was like, thank you for being honest, but also, yeah. what on earth? <laughs> wow. Well, thank you for um, just being open to having this conversation. I know it kind of was winding all over the place, but I mean, that's a conversation. That's like a real conversation, mm. you know. Yeah. Thank you for having me on here and letting me chat. Um, I hope, I hope I haven't pissed off too many people. Oh, you'd be fine. Honestly, I mean, this is pissing off people and there's way other things many other things that are pissing mm-hmm. people off <laughs> i don't think this conversation <laughs> yeah. uh, so, but it's it's been lovely to speak with you louise and uh, just thank you for your kindness and your care and your openness i appreciate it 
Brilliant. Um, I think that's the best thing that people can be is is kind, open and caring. Um, and I would implore you, you know, if you've got a friend who is who has gone a bit quiet recently, or or you've just been feeling down yourself, reach out and connect. Um, just now is a really difficult time, and people will only appreciate it. So thank you very much. Most definitely. Thank you again, and uh, we will be in touch. Brilliant. Bye for now. Thank you for listening to this episode of Dr. D's Social Network. Make sure you listen to future episodes. Also, please make sure to rate and review My Dad's Show on Apple Podcasts in the Rate and Review section. Thanks, everyone.